0: Ladies, get ready. Just throw it in there. It's never going to be perfect. No one's ever happy with their version one, okay? Get it out there. Get moving. Get funded. Welcome back to this week's episode of Be Boulder. Last week, we started down the winding road of our adventure and venture. This week, we're going to touch on a pretty hot topic in venture capital.
1: DEI,
0: diversity, equity, and inclusion, or shall we say the continued lack thereof. (laughs) We'll talk about why VC firms look so 50 male and white, and we'll more importantly talk about what steps can be taken on both sides of the table by venture capitalists and entrepreneurs to make VC firms more like the world we live in every day and to see funding go into the hands of founders that are as diverse as the global population. But in order to understand how the problems can be solved, we need to understand how in the hell we got here in the first place so that we can understand what the patterns are and then course correct from there. So let's get after it. capital in its current form hasn't really been around for all that long. It's really only been around for less than 100 years, beginning in about 1946, when a former Harvard Business School professor formed what is now classified as the first venture capital fund. From there, it grew with VC hubs developing in Boston, New York, and of course, Silicon Valley. Many of these firms began in an era when women were still in the home caring for children, and unfortunately the non-white population did not have the same rights as white men in particular, or they were just beginning to receive more equal treatment under the law. And as we all know, there's a lot more work to be done there. This societal context is important because absent a few juggernauts, most VC firms are small, tight-knit group of individuals. And like we chatted about in episode nine, VCs make their money from management fees and carried interest. And while carry may be theoretically unlimited, management fees are finite and they're tied to fund size, which means there's only so much money to pay everyone on the teams and support general operations. You know, couple this then with some oftentimes big old egos from business folks who maybe have had some successes in the past. And we've got a recipe for forced smaller teams. Limited resources, challenging or, shall we say, at least big personalities, and high stress, just given the nature of the VC beast. Couple that with the natural human tendencies to associate with what you know or like, meaning like attracts like. And it's no wonder that a supermajority of venture capital firms, particularly at the decision making level, consist primarily of white men. And just for clarity, a VC firm is often about succession. The general partners run a firm through its life cycle, and typically every four years or so, a new fund is born. Some of those general partners from the previous fund stay on, some retire, some new folks are added, and unfortunately, those new ads typically closely resemble the old or pre-existing GPs, and so the cycle has a tendency to repeat, repeat, and repeat itself. And really up until 2016, 2017, when some of the California-based female venture capitalists began to allege that they were being unfairly discriminated against due to their gender while being considered for general partner positions, or worse yet, sexual harassment, which is a whole other topic for a whole different day, did the VC world even start to take notice of the downright abysmal statistics that only about 8% of general partners at the decision-making level were women. And honestly, that was a stat I experienced firsthand from, let's say, 2008 to 2017, when I was very literally the only woman in the decision-making room the whole time. <laughs> so, starting around 2016, 2017, many venture firms took a very, you know, took very seriously the need to diversify their teams and began hiring many more women and minorities. Many were beautifully authentic about it, with good motives and understand and understanding that diverse viewpoints around the decision-making table increases creativity in thought and ultimate decisions. Others hired women and minorities and called them partners, but the true decision-making authority continued to sit within a small group of white men. So let me explain this for a hot sec. <laughs> GPs have two types of members. Typically, they have the investment committee. So that's the true general partner, the decision makers of the fund. And they have carried interest holders, which are often a far more inclusive and, and you know varying bunch. But those folks typically don't have a decision making say. Necessarily. And unfortunately, some VC firms said that they had diversified and added women and minorities to their teams, but they did not give them true decision-making authority or say. So it was slash is effectively diversity and name only. This is a large part of why we see stats of VC women partners creeping up to let's call it 12%, but true decision making only women, venture capital partners, hovering at around nine. Okay, so we have a baseline for why VCs look the way they do. So why are male entrepreneurs invested in more oftentimes than female? Okay, well, this reason's typically got a couple of prongs to it. First, just like like attracts like in VC firms, so too are VC firms more likely to invest in groups similar to them. Often, this is unintentional and due to unconscious bias. Men and women will ask male entrepreneurs different questions than female ones during a pitch, and not out of malice, but purely out of just unconscious bias. Now, let's be straight some people are also just assholes with malintent who need to shut their suck holes, but for the most part, that's not the case. Next, Women are often less likely to seek funding from all-male groups, sometimes due to their own unconscious behaviors, and sometimes it's because they just don't have a familiar or similar face to usher them through the venture capital firm's door. Remember, this is all about relationships, true relationships. And so (laughs) they might not apply because they don't feel like they have an advocate. The same goes for diverse founders, because if they don't feel like they have an ally on the team, they're just going to avoid application anyway. Women are also typically more likely to delay the launch of a business than their male counterparts until they feel that it's quote unquote ready. Ladies, get ready. Just throw it in there. It's never going to be perfect. No one's ever happy with their version one, okay? Get it out there. Get moving. Get funded. So you combine all of these things together and it's no wonder that there's gender and diversity issues in venture capital. Okay, Greatlands, you told us what the problem is. So how in the hell do we solve it? Well, <laughs> opinions by LKS. I think we solve it like we solve any other problem by applying consistent pressure over time in a lot of different avenues. First, on the VC side, DEI needs to mean true diversity, equity, and inclusion, not only in decision-making on the VC level, but with investors in funds and in selecting co-investors in deals. In the VC firms, true decision-making GPs need to prioritize diversity, embrace discomfort in facing diverse, possibly divergent opinions, and truly include women and minorities at the decision-making table, not just in name. This needs to change. Don't make me call you out. Okay. (laughs) Diverse backgrounds and opinions bring different experiences and lenses through which deals and the world are viewed. Groupthink is avoided. And it behooves you, if you're looking for a leg up in a venture firm, to have a bunch of different opinions around the table, because if everybody thinks the same... That's either going to be real good or it's going to be real bad. Second, not only should general partners seek out LPs who value diversity, but LPs should hold GPs feet to the fire with regards to diversity. Many investors have started to do this, which is awesome. And more should because he or she that controls the gold gets to make the rules. That's the LKS golden rule, by the way. If you have the money, you make the rules. Okay. So why not use your investment powers for a double bottom line? Great returns, and improve diversity. Third, sexist, homophobic, and racist co-investors should not be included in deals. Period. Look, I've dealt with my fair share of these types of garbage people, some as recently as a year and a half ago in upstate New York. Look, I was brought into someone's office to discuss a co-investing opportunity in a company, and when I arrived, as invited, okay, the chauvinist male who invited me asked me in front of all of his little male friends if my dad was coming to the meeting with me. Now, my dad is not in VC. My dad is not in law. This Yahoo does not know my dad. He was just being an asshole and trying to gain some sort of leverage, which I did not understand. And so after not so respectfully Um, you know, telling this person to pound sand. I have since had a personal moratorium on co-investing with this Yahoo or any of his dumb person crew. Others need to do the same. This is how we put an end to this, by applying pressure and squeezing out idiots out of good deals so that eventually it doesn't even make sense for them to stay in business in the space because they're only in garbage companies and garbage deals with their garbage friends and their garbage people. So again, consistent pressure over time changes all things and hopefully puts assholes out of business. Additionally, on the co-investor side, if you see a firm that says they're diverse, but are diverse only in name, you should think about whether you need to keep them out of your space too. Fourth, women and minorities. This is not just for the VC firms to fix alone. Let me be clear. Everybody has a role and everybody has a part here. Not only should the firms be seeking diversity, but you should demand it and a seat at the decision making table. If you don't demand a seat, how does anyone know that you even freaking want one? Stand up for you. It's not anyone else's responsibility to do that, but yours. Okay. <laughs> and on the investment side, how do we fix that mess? And, you know, that was actually making some degree of progress until COVID hit. And now investments in women and minorities are regressing. At least that's what the stats are showing, despite the formation of a lot of niche-focused funds that invest only in minorities or only in women. And so, well, how do we fix that? So again, consistent pressure over time from a lot of different places, okay? First, I'm going to say it. Women and minorities, I do not care if someone on a VC team doesn't look like you. Demand to be considered. Greed trumps sexism, racism, all of that in almost all scenarios. So if you really do have the best investment, put it out there for the world to see and put it directly in front of those investors and prove why you deserve funding and will give them life-changing wealth. Now, if they're asshats and you know they're directly, you know, sexist or racist or homophobic to you. You have to really think about, like, where does that sit within you authentically? Do you want to work with these people for the next six to eight years? And if you do really have this business that's going to change the world, maybe you'll leave them out just to prove a point. Just saying. Next, if someone treats you unfairly because of your race, sexual orientation, gender, call it out. Just as Michelle Obama says, when they go low, you go high. So do that calling out in a respectful way but certainly do not allow that behavior to continue. Actions rewarded are actions repeated. Do not reward their behavior by being quiet or tolerant. Stand up for you and those that come after you. That's how this nonsense changes. Next, if you're experiencing unconscious bias in a line of questioning about your business, you know, try bringing the questioning back to the merits of your, your business. Do not let the discussion go down rabbit holes of work-life balance as to raising kids or emotionality or race or, or gender, or whatever it's going to do. Steer it back to center course about financials, opportunity, market, the actual business. If the line of questioning remains biased, don't hesitate to light people up. Because honestly, if they're being challenging with you during the questioning, they're probably not going to invest in you anyway if they're asking you questions that are very Uh, you know, bias-based, so why not put them in their place? Four, spread the word. If you find wonderful VCs, tell the world about them. And if you find poor ones, tell the world about them. Warn your co-founder or your other founder colleagues about them too. That's how this changes. These are all things we can do on either side of the table to improve all of these issues before us. And let me be clear. Everyone has a responsibility here. Everyone can push and needs to push for change. General partners need to push for true diversity on their teams and in their investments. Women and minorities need to demand a seat at the decision-making table. In investments, VCs need to seek diverse founders and diverse founders need to make themselves and their businesses known and push for investment and correct behaviors when possible. Will all of this be easy? No. Will it always be pleasant? No. <laughs> Will everyone embrace these changes? No. Should you let that stop you in ceasing a, seeking a job in venture capital or VC funding? Absolutely friggin' not. Nothing changes if nothing changes. But consistent pressure over time can change anything. Now, this isn't an all-encompassing list of all of the things that are going right or wrong in diversity and equity and inclusion in terms of venture capital. But it's certainly a, a pretty encompassing list and explanation of just why things they are the way that they are and some of the things that we can do consistently each and every day to change them, given our role. Now, that's all for this episode. But tune in next week when we continue down our path of adventures in venture. Thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoyed this episode. Follow us on Insta at bouldercast or visit our blog at TheBoulderLife.com. If you have questions or suggestions for me, leave me a message at 614 706 6693.